The time is now. Marvin K. Mooney, would you please go now? Have you, uh, Rob, have you started in your daredom reading uh, Dr. Seuss and so forth? I have not. We are reading, we are reading, we are reading books um, mm-hmm. in the daredom. Uh, yep. But they are, we do have some Dr. Seuss books, book of bedtime stories, mm-hmm. Dr. Seuss, I see it right here, and some other Excellent. Dr. Seuss items. Uh, Elgato in Sombrero, Cat in the Hat. Speaking of whiteness, that was my you know, pronunciation. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Rob, can you believe that it was not until this very second that I realized, of course, one of the central personal experiences that you have to draw upon, your foster child? Yes, it's I'm, true. I'll be curious to hear if, if he comes up in this process, but I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Should we do the... Uh, should we do the biz? Yeah, let's do the biz, yeah. We, mm-hmm. I'll do an intro and then we can dive in. Cool. Um, welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. We have no guests this week. Our guest uh, for the episode couldn't make it due to a slight emergency, so we're, we're, we're just flying pilot and co-pilot and co-pilot and pilot uh, for this episode. If you want to be if you want to be pilot, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's like I remember somebody when I was a kid. They had like it was like the wife and husband's name on the mailbox, and it was it was written on there twice: one with the woman's name first, and one with the man's name first. And I thought that was like a little bit of like suburban <laughs> equality. I don't yeah. know what you call it. <laughs> Sub- Subur- that's what we call woke suburban. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> woke. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. I interrupted you. As I oh, no. Too. It's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah. Uh, my name is Rob Ray. I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles. And uh, I'm also an experienced director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist and educator based in Chicago. Uh, CAD CAM evangelist, uh, open source advocate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes, yes, indeed. So we, our challenge number six is whiteness. Uh, yes, oh, such a good one, such a hard one. Yes, very hard. Given to us by uh, the legendary Hung No, who was on episode five. And Hung, if you're listening, we're going to mm-hmm. do our best this week <laughs> to tackle this one. Oh, get ready. Yeah. I did feel a particular amount, like usually I feel mostly responsible to the other people that'll be on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, but this time I felt I felt responsible to a much grander, <laughs> Yeah, like, like this wasn't the kind of thing where I could risk, it was weird, I mean, because a lot of this show is about quick and dirty and making it happen so that we can sort of show the warts and all yep. that. Yep, yep. And I, I felt like, oh man, this was, I really didn't want to feel, I didn't want to make an object that felt dismissive of the content. Totally. What was your experience like with that? Yeah, very, very similar. I mean, I, I stewed in my own juices for a long time trying to just be like, what do I want to say? And when I say something, like, what does that say about what I think? You know, like, like just really digging into like, what do I think? And like, how do, how do I make a visual object or experience or something that represents that in an accurate and useful 
way. Like, I don't know. It was, it was quite tough. Um, uh, but I think I got to a place, but I definitely, um, you know, the, the premise of the podcast is we have roughly two weeks to do something. And I definitely spent mm-hmm. a long time too long, uh, freaking out. <laughs> well, you know, I am starting to find interestingly with this format that two weeks is kind of a long time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that, um, I mean, I think it's good in terms of making sure we have enough to say, because we yeah. often talk about things happening in the world. I mean, just today, Chris Cornell and Roger Ailes died. I mean, talk yeah. about a funerary combo. <laughs> like, whoa, I, I don't know how to feel right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I want to make sure, you know, there's only so many um, bullshit uh, juicing machines that come out of Silicon Valley and or... Um, Sex, sexual predatory um, personalities that kick the bucket. I mean, you got to give it a little time to air out, you know. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so one idea you and I had a little bit when we were like, "Oh, we don't have a guest. Like, how do we want to tackle it?" Was to maybe interview one another a little bit about what we thought about the topic. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a cool idea of yours, and it seemed seemed smart. Um. But man, maybe let's do a couple questions. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of my thoughts are going to bubble yeah. through the work, but uh, bubble up through the work. But right. um, also, I think it would just be good to talk a little bit about how you sort of yeah. work through the the topic this week or last week, both weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, so because our original guest couldn't make it, one of the people I reached out to. So, shout out to Walter Katindu, and uh, he. I met him because he was working as a visiting artist at Columbia College and working on this really great uh, kinetic sculpture that was a, um, a sort of a funerary monument to somebody who had died in Texas. I'm not exactly sure the details, and mm. I'm hoping he'll come on in the future and we can yeah. tell us more about it. But it was this great piece. It was really complicated, but it was all manufactured by hand. And so he, he seemed to have a real interest in not using the tools that we had right there, like the CNC machine, even though it would have made it you know easier in a certain way. Uh, and so Walter, you know, we, we haven't ta- talked, uh, specifically about his background, but I do know he identifies as a person of color. And so I was reaching out to him, I think a month or two ago and saying, oh, you should come on. And then when, uh, we lost our original guest, I reached out and said, oh, you know, cause I thought he might be interested in the topic and he had this great response, which was so nice, but also just cut right to it, which is like, you know, you guys don't need the permission of a person of color to, to talk, like you don't need a monitor. And I think he was just, and then he of course went on to say, not, not that you're just inviting me for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a dope producer and also has a lot to say on that topic as well. And so we wound up going out for drinks. I was helping him with some, um, Arduino stuff. And we, and I just said, Oh, you know, can we just talk about it generally? So he, he had a lot of really great, um, ideas to talk about, you know, one of them being, I can't remember exactly how I was phrasing it to him, but he reminded me that it is, after all, a talk about whiteness. And I did find myself continuously framing whiteness through its interaction with other races. Yep. And so I thought that was interesting to be reminded, like, oh, you know, whiteness can... Oh, I guess it's a question. Can whiteness exist separate from its treating other people poorly? (laughs) Right? Like, does, does it have an identity that's not drawn from its colonial and kind of um awful history um what what did you come up with as an answer to that question so i've read a little bit about whiteness 
a, you know, there's um, a pretty interesting paper that I'm spacing out on the woman's name right now, which is embarrassing, but uh, written about this concept of uh, white fragility, which is um, yes. sort of dissects in some ways like a, the white mindset in this pretty interesting way and like is a pretty scathing critique of whiteness, which is is interesting and cool, but also like very I found it to be very poignant. Just like, oh wow, this there's there's a lot that's sort of being unpacked here that I I can relate to and and sort of connect with. Um I think the thing that was And you're thinking of Ro- Robin D'Angelo? Yes. Robin D'Angelo. Yeah. Thank yep. You. Um from uh, twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. I it's like in one way, like I really like that it's just you and I for this episode uh, to, you know, white people talk about whiteness. But like in a way, I would also just be interested in hearing from a a person of color about whiteness because there's an argument and and I think it's dead on like that. Someone who is a person of color understands whiteness or sort of experiences it in this way that is much more palpable than someone who sort of is unconsciously wallowing around in it you know like like i am because i am a white I th- white dude exactly um mm-hmm. yeah white people white people sort of experience whiteness the least yeah right 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 and uh, well in some ways until you get into the privilege conversation yeah right yeah so are certainly um are and maybe are conscious of it the least, right? Like, um, yes. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's going to be lots of big gaps. Sorry, listeners. In this episode, because I feel like it's like so, I feel myself sort of digging into like every word that I'm choosing, um, which I, I like and is, is healthy. But I don't know, man. I want to get out in front of that a little bit because um, I think that this sort of the white guilt part, like, you know, certainly the communities that we're both in, whether academic or, you know, Los Angeles art or whatever, yeah. however you would define that, I think there is a, we understand the appropriateness of certain feelings. And uh-huh. I think that, you know, you can have in your head this list of things that you should and shouldn't feel or say. And it's really easy to, it's sort of like um, like cutting or self-flagellation or something where you're aware that you have these bad thoughts and that sort of constant minorly painful penance somehow matters at all. Mm-hmm. And of course mm-hmm. it matters not at all to other people's experience. If there's just this internal churn about like coming up to correctness, you know what I mean? And so I felt like that was one of the things I struggled with where um, I didn't want to celebrate the rightness of my thinking, you know what I mean? So I yeah. don't want to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's one of the reasons, cause we, we also talked about it from a practical perspective, you know, do we make this podcast 10 hours long and then edit it down to the, the greatest shit or do we kind of risk, and this is sort of my take on it and I'm curious for years, but do we risk saying the wrong thing and leave it in there because those discussions are uncomfortable and that struggle is what important, what's important, not just like polishing our, reputations you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so and i think that gets a little bit into this you know there's this sort of running joke of this kind of persona that is the woke twitter ally you know which is someone who (laughs) is very (laughs) yeah who is exactly who's very good at projecting a certain 
uh, political stance or mind frame or whatever, but like is not doing the work or is not like, like it really comes down to like, how yes. do you, how, 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 who are you uh, to yourself and to your the people around Manifest. you? Right? Yeah. And so I, I, yeah, I, I hear you. Like, I think it's better to, um, you know, be thoughtful about what you say, but like, be also okay with like pushing yourself through the paragraphs that you're saying into places you maybe haven't fully thought out yet, right? To, to kind of get get at what yeah. you want to say. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to. I think that if anything thus far this episode will generate feedback from the audience yeah and i'm really curious you know so we certainly we we take a risk and i think the whole podcast has been about a certain kind of risk because creativity is a risk but i think this one has this great extra layer because we really want to lay ourselves out there and say you know this is where we're at and it's flawed and what we're thinking about and Certainly we'll have people say, oh, you did a good job or you did a bad job, but I'm really looking forward to the stuff that's sort of beyond that because the topic is so much bigger than you and me. Um, I don't know. I I feel like your history is really interesting. I don't understand it super well, Mm -hmm. but my understanding of where you come from strikes me as intersecting with a lot of stereotypical whiteness. So we're talking about Florida, we're talking about skate culture, although interestingly, I think that skate culture is becoming a, um, really popular in the black community now, too. But, you know, many years away from when you were doing it, there's the straight edge community. Um, there's this, uh, there's like the early dot-com boom. Yep. And so I can think of so many ways in which you intersect in my stereotypical understanding of whiteness. And yep. then there's also just that incredible story of when you were considering getting into foster parenting um, when you had your friends out to dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you don't want to talk, talk about it in this context, then, then uh, feel free not to. But, but those were two things that just made me think like um, I wanted to hear you unpack um, those experiences. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, if you were to sketch out. Um, what a white uh, dude looks like. Yeah. If, if you were to, <laughs> if you were going to make like a scatter plot diagram of whiteness, like I would like sock it straight <laughs> into that, you know, like, 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 <laughs> like it would just, you know, like there's yeah. it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in largely suburbia. I, um, experienced people of other races largely through school, you know, like, um mm-hmm. as opposed to through social organizations and stuff um right. or through neighborhood uh, like relations or whatever um mm-hmm. i yeah i i was into like extremely kind of uh white things <laughs> you could if if you uh think of, you know <laughs> like things white people like you know dungeons and dragons and skateboarding and all that stuff like is 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 all right in there um Although I do believe that now, talking to my students, that both of those things are crossing the aisle, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it certainly things are are certainly different than they were when I was a kid, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I I am a foster parent. Um, I 
am a foster parent to a mixed race child. So as a foster parent, you work, um, this is just specific to Los Angeles County, but probably true everywhere else, but LA County is the only experience I have. So you, um, you decide to, to become a foster parent. You uh, do all the things that you need to do to become eligible. We worked with a nonprofit to um, become eligible and do our training and that kind of stuff. And they were great because actually they talk quite a bit about whiteness and race and just the numbers of the situation. Like, like if you were to look at the demographics of what children become available to be um, foster or foster to adopted, um, sure. you, it, it's, in very it's a very high percentage of mixed race or children of color that become available to be um uh foster adopt kids so it's just built in like you can't even if you were like i'm a person who i just just want a white kid because i feel like i can't handle this responsibility racial or like social responsibility of foster adopting Mm -hmm say just as an example an african-american child or whatever um fostering through the county is probably just not for you because they're just it's just not going to work out that like you would wait a very long time in order to to do that um or if you were just some kind of freak who was like oh i want to only foster a white kid because you're an asshole or something like like that actually would also be very hard because that they're just they don't have anything for you you know um so then though you're sort of like okay well I will probably be, be helping raise a kid who is not my race. And so what does that, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Like, how do I do that? Um, and you, and, and, and dude, start answering those questions cause you're doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's every, I mean, Jen and I, this is something we probably talk about nearly every day mm-hmm. and it, because of this, the sort of machinations of the whole thing, like, like when you start to think about like who who is my kid with at daycare or who is my kid you know having a play date with or who is my you know like what you quickly get i didn't really realize this but you kind of quickly get into like what schools are around and ironically like in our neighborhood in Los Angeles most public schools are are um probably 80 some 90 some percent um latino or latina and so you if you are a child of another race there's not going to just be many people who look like you at that school um so you know not to mention the the mixed race question generally yeah which you know i relate to a lot as well my my wife is mixed race half white and half asian audrey yeah and our kid has that sort of ambiguous ethnic feature although i think some of the challenges due to the you know so-called positive stereotypes of asians Mm. are somewhat different but Mm. i think one of the consistencies is just if you're with people of either race they just see the other part yeah yeah i mean i think for us our our sort of mo is think about it a lot try not to screw up in a glorious fashion and just (laughs) do your best you know um yeah and also it just changes the rug that's pulled as a as a new parent of a of an infant who's 
grows a lot every day, the rug just sort of gets pulled out from underneath you every day. You're just like, oh, well, this is what's going on now. So you kind of have to just stay on your toes. And, and that seems like to me a better way of approaching it than sort of like drawing all these sort of absolutes around yourself in order to feel like you're doing the right thing because the situation is just going to change enough that you have to keep rethinking it. Well, and then, and it, which I think is just a parenting thing yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, so if I put on my most cynical hat, yeah. because it seems like a lot of whiteness studies tend to be pretty cutting in their critique, right? I I know that, there, you know, if, if we think about sort of the position that you're in, as opposed to, and I know you don't want to talk specifically about um, your foster kids' yeah. uh, biological parents, mm-hmm. mm. but just to talk about how, as I would imagine part of this whiteness and privilege conversation is the fact that you are in a position to foster somebody, and that you know, the children go into the foster system for a whole variety of reasons, uh, many of them probably stemming from the social inequalities brought about yeah. by whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious how you feel about that loop. Like, clearly, if a kid needs a home and you can provide that, there's an essential positive there. Yeah. But do you, do you like, if you step back and look at it, um, and I feel like kind of a jerk for asking this yeah, question. Yeah, go for it. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> But yeah, do you do you feel like you participate negatively in that system uh by virtue of your um your power position? I don't feel like I partic- I don't feel like my impact is negative through the through fostering. I feel like my mm-hmm. work is negative in ignoring or not acting on the things that make the create the system in the first place, you know, like like mm-hmm. what what is somewhat liberating about being a foster parent if someone ever wants to do it is there's a lot of decisions that just aren't yours. Um, the mm-hmm. court um, decides a lot. Um, in our case, DCFS decides a lot. So there's a lot of things that the judge decides a lot. So you're just sort of. Um, in a lot of ways, your opinion doesn't matter. Like when I, if we ever have to go to court, we we are never spoken to. You know, like it's not about what we think. It's just about right. we're just there to like bounce the kid on our knee. You know, so um, mm-hmm. what you realize as a foster parent is you actually have very little say so in in the sort of machinations of the foster system. Um, but you know, I I do have personal responsibility and say so in like how I live my life and like. Um, mm-hmm. if I am doing things or contributing to to something that is negatively impacting uh, people of color, part of that is going to be made manifest in through something like the foster system, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, so I, I try to think of it that way, and I, 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 in general, as a foster parent, you realize like. It's smart. The smartest move you can make is to realize, like, there's no hero- heroism in this system. And this, you know, it's just like, it's a grind. It's tough. You be supportive to everyone as much as possible and just hope well, everything works out. Yeah. But as a fellow parent, I mean, I think there's heroism in every parenting activity. And then to add to that, the 
just the practical difficulties that come with fostering. And see, yeah. <laughs> this is me talking out of both sides of my mouth. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to make sure I represent, I'm trying to, uh, I think William Gibson has this great quote, speaking of whiteness, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> of uh, something like, you know, we can't, did I talk about this in the podcast? We, uh, it's it's hard to, to see the culture because the culture is what we see with. You know what mm, I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I just, I, I love that as a quote. So I'm trying to make sure I'm representing, like anytime I let something go, I'm trying to think about it from its sort of cynical angle, even as I'm trying not just to be like, you know, w- winning points for not allowing a single beautiful thing to go untouched. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. And I'm just going to leave that hanging there. I got no, There's no conclusion in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, uh, ask me a question. What questions do you have? Yeah, I, um, so I'm going to talk about myself for a second, but the question is maybe it, mm-hmm. it will loop back into that. Um, so sure. one of the things that, has, that came up for me, and this is, um, approaches a little bit about talking about the projects we did, but, um, mm-hmm. so I have a relative who was a Confederate soldier in the civil war and oh interesting yeah did you get a, a dna test or how did you figure no that i out? i sort of had always heard about this person um but didn't didn't really had never really in my whole life just dug into it or cared about it that much but um it came up ironically because my dad has has been like scanning old photos old family photos and stuff and his mm-hmm. grave site photo came through and I was just like, "Whoa, that's a CSA grave marker!" Like, <laughs> like, like. Okay, yeah. um, what does CSA stand? Uh, Confederate for? States Can, of America, I think. Is what, yeah. States of America, got it. Yeah. And um, so that was interesting. And then, of course, uh, attached to that thinking was all this. Like, there's been a lot of like Confederate monument, uh, kind of upheaval uh, in in the Carolinas and in Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, it was enlightening for me to be like, okay, like there's like, I've got skin in the game in some way. Like, but you feel like you didn't before you knew about this guy. Um, or really brought it home. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just to be like, Oh, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I was curious for you, like if you had anything like that or if you'd sort of, Mm. um, had any kind of family situations that sort of uh, put things into perspective or into focus that you had been thinking through over the past two weeks. Interesting. Uh, and family stuff. I mean, for me, I really feel like my family experience has really been more of a, um, a chosen family, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I know there's yeah. people that are really close to the family that they have. And um, it sounds like you're kind of in the middle mm-hmm. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, where you have frustrations, but you still have those connections, and and for me, yeah, my my family is pretty small, mm-hmm. and so most of my interaction has been with my wife's family, and there's the sort of Anglo-Saxon side and the Taiwanese side, mm-hmm. and then my brother-in-law and his uh, partner are visiting, and they're doing their millennial thing, you know, and they're not married but it doesn't matter and so they're you know aunt and uncle to our kid and so so all those definitions are kind of blowing up a little bit mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think 
Man, I've got a couple stories that I really can't tell. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to sell out the uh, um, the relatives yep. that hard. Yep. Oh, so so I, I guess the, the closest I could get was, uh, well, man, Rob, that's a really tough question. I mean, I, I think I feel like I, I, I have no problem talking about it. Uh, I guess the issue is that, you know, things laid that bare. I don't know that I want to set my family members up for that. Yeah, um, I mean, feel free to not go into yes, specifics, but I was just curious, like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm it, trying to, trying to figure up. out how to articulate it without going into specifics. I mean, well, okay, so, so, I mean, definitely I had some issues growing up with the white side of my family, mm-hmm. um, having fairly casual use of... Um, of racial slurs Mm, yeah and i think uh and one thing i do recall you know my my parents um you know for all their faults as we all have i'm sure i have too as a parent um really never instilled any uh racism in me in an explicit way now i i've certainly come to understand my kind of implicit biases and try to be really cognizant of them Mm -hmm. Uh, for example when i went to high school i went to a high school that was basically 50 percent black and 50 percent white Mm -hmm. and so um there wound up being de facto black and white entrances you know in the 90s because um the kids that were bust tended to be black and the kids that were neighborhood tended to be white and so it made a certain amount of sense that they would leave through these different entrances the bus entrance and the non-bus entrance Uh But then it wound up, you know, mirroring the behavior of a, um, you know, of of a more segregated state of an earlier historical period. Mm. Uh, Okay, so so, so maybe those are the stories that make more sense. So in terms of memories from that school, I was in the Afro section of the high school yearbook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, you know, and this is a school that's 50-50 black and white, so I had really big hair. And also listened to Nirvana. And so there was this like really interesting fusion of sort of baggy pants, but also like, um, you know, button down shirts, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that. I mean, there, our lunchroom was shaped like an L. So there was basically a black side and a white side. So there was cultural crossover, but it was kind of sad in some ways and kind of limited. So while you might, you know, experience the, um, culture say in the in the form of music or whatever because what's new i mean you know white people liking music or black music doesn't necessarily mean they're you know thoroughly integrated totally, yeah. so i i feel i feel like i had a weirdly historical experience in high school um and then the the story i'll cap it off with is is the guidance counselors or who knows who had this sort of brilliant awful idea to get the races together to have them ask each other questions. <laughs> so so this must have been like 1994 or something. So so we all sat in this room with black kids on one side and white kids on the other and would just let loose. And I, and I can only remember one question where this one kid asked, um, he was black, and he said, do white people get tan because they want to be black? Hmm. And then the white kids found it so amusing you know but you know when when you sort of think about it i feel like there was a lot bound up in that question yeah there's something there That's and then the you know the, oh for sure and and the school had um you know a terrible history of guidance counselors directing 
black students towards lower level classes and white students towards upper level. So, so there were definitely two societies at work yeah. that were aided and abetted by uh, the administration. So that was sort of, um, I think my, my, my first entree to those, that topic matter. Yeah. So who's going first? <laughs> uh, I went first last episode, so I think you get to go first this time. Okay, sure. So when I was thinking about this, um, and I'll push some images up on Slack for you in just a second. Cool. I, I feel like, and, and Audrey was really helpful in this because, you know, she, although she is ethnically part white, is sort of the, the consummate outsider. And so I think she was doing a good job kind of keeping me honest. Mm, good. So some of the appro- approaches I was thinking about were sort of through the contemporary art lens. So I was thinking about how whiteness, there was a nice metaphor in um, modernism, right? So you have mm. this sort of modernism for those unfamiliar is um, the notion that a gallery needs to have white walls and track lighting and you sort of have these trappings of what a gallery space is and then those things are supposed to be invisible right so you hang a painting it's context free and then an audience member can just sort of bask in the painting alone and Mm -hmm. no other um, external variables and then of course postmodernism comes in and says you know the myth of the white cube is false and you know, you had shitty traffic on the way here and it's raining outside and there's a, you know, there's a hobo eating at the cheese table or whatever. And that, that all these things sort of influence your experience. And, and the fact that, you know, a space is trying to present itself as rarefied. So I like the idea that whiteness was, you know, figured into that myth. Well, the original notion of modernism and its, um, and its uh, postmodernistic myth. And so I thought, you know, oh, could I make this sort of like inscrutable white object and then use it as a foil for conversation or something like that? Um, the other thing I was coming up with in conversation with Audrey, uh, who's my eternal collaborator, uh, whether she likes it or not, <laughs> is... Um, Seems like she enjoys it. Uh, yeah, depending on the day. <laughs> so, so um, but the notion that we work a lot with electricity and the fact that the... Um, and now I got to look this back up. I was just debating this with Walter, but um, when you have up to code wiring in the wall, so white is neutral, and that from a technical standpoint tells you how the electricity operates, but it also seems to plug into whiteness in that mm. sort of political conceptual mm-hmm. realm because whiteness can project itself as that default or neutral culture. And so one thing to constantly press back against is that sort of Eurocentric understanding of a thing that is um, baseline mm-hmm. is already pregnant with whiteness meaning and so forth. So, so I liked both of those ideas, but was just sort of like, what am I trying to say here? The, the more I tried to get the concept embedded in the object, the more pressure I felt to make it really, really good. <laughs> and I, and I felt like, Two weeks was not enough time to really embed all of this stuff in an object. So what I decided to do instead, um, let me go ahead and upload some images for Rob here. Yeah, cool. Aha. 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 Uh-huh. Uh, so there's two images here. 
the first one I'm looking at is <clears throat> a template, looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is on what looks to be... Uh, by template, I mean it's a sort of looks like roughly an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper or something like that. And it looks like it's spray glued down onto a board. Mm-hmm. And that board looks like it is probably, it could be like a waste board or like a CNC mill or something. Uh, but I'm not quite sure. I'm zooming in. Oh, yeah, I see. The board is cut to shape the same size as the piece of wood. And there's one, two, yep. three, four, five, six. Um, things that I was going to say look like a fidget spinner. <laughs> because they are fidgets. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the fidget spinner is, is, as many people who listen to this podcast probably know, but as I understand it, is this is a thing that... It, it's a very kind of knowledge worker object i feel like where like you need something to like entertain your hand with while you're doing something else it's a very like multitasking mm-hmm. kind of object uh like so let's okay. say you're like um sitting in a boring meeting at work or something like that there's this object that's sort of hand size and typically has ball bearings in it that you can um kind of spin in your hand while ostensibly listening to this boring meeting or, or like checking your email or, or uh, thinking through some sort of programming problem or something like that. And then the second photo looks like what is the fidget spinner uh, and it's sort of um, Y shaped, but um, equidistant. It's almost like an old school, like a Mercedes symbol without the ring around the outside. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a ball bearing, kind of a skate, um, like an ABEC ball bearing in the middle, and then one on exactly each side. Exactly, a skate bearing. Yeah, cool. Yep. That's, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, unlike some other ones, this one's pretty direct. So, so what I ultimately came up with was uh, I wanted to make a thing, but I didn't want to have to embed all of the material in just the thing, because I felt like that was too tall in order mm. for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, you know, that I should just take some time as a white person oh. just to just to read, <laughs> just to like, you know, get get educated about this stuff. Yeah. So so this is sort of the beginning of a much longer project, which is to become more educated and more thoughtful and hopefully leading to action when it comes to, you know, my position as a privileged person. So I made these fidget spinners because they're popular right now, but they're also dinky. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's sort of no, there's no confusing, like, I'm not trying to say that I just cured whiteness with a fidget spinner. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to have to wonder that. So the idea was, so I made these, and then I would just sort of spin them in my hand while I was reading Critical Theory. <laughs> uh, so the, there, were, there were a couple of pieces that I was reading about that I that I pulled some nice material out of and not nearly enough you know granted and and more to come but but what i did so far was i was checking out this um this little speech given by uh w.e.b du bois about jefferson davis right of course jefferson mm-hmm. davis the um president if you can call him that of the uh 
of the Confederacy. So uh, W.E.B. Uh, w. Du Bois gave the speech at Harvard, and I think the it was 1890. And there was just some nice stuff in here. So just to read a couple of quotes. Um, Through the glamour of history, the rise of a nation has ever been typified by the strong man crushing out the effete civilization. So his he, he often goes back to talking about the Teutonic ideal and this understanding that you just sort of bulldoze and crush those before you. And then he goes on to say, uh, in the history of this people, we seek in vain the elements of Teutonic deification of self, the Roman brute force, but we do not find an idea of submission apart from cowardice, laziness, or stupidity, um, which I thought, yeah, I mean, it made a lot of sense. Like those notions, I remember seeing, for example, a um, uh, an exhibit in Detroit that was talking about colonialism through African eyes. Mm. This is incredible exhibition, but they had these, these great, like um, people like carving top hats out of wood or, um, or making these gold watches that were purely visual in nature. Of course they had no timekeeping or whatever. And then they would talk about the cultural differences, like how the way that they stated it, as I recall that um, in the United States, we spend time or in Western culture, we spend time. Whereas in African culture, you make time. Right, so the idea is the day starts with nothing, and then you say, "I'm going to place an hour on this task," which is very different from, "I have 24 hours. What have I wasted so far?" Mm. Right. Mm. Um, so just to finish this off, and I don't want to do too much quote reading, but the the submission of the strength of the strong to the advance of all, not in mere aimless sacrifice, but recognizing the fact that to no one type of mind is given to discern the totality of truth, that civilization cannot afford to lose the contribution of the very least of nations for its full development. You know, so he's talking about, uh, at least to my mind, the fact that, yeah, you have a nation that is not as advanced in its, you know, colonial bloodthirsty way <laughs> or whatever, but there's there's really interesting ideas to be found in there. And so the notion that you have these sort of strong nations and these weak nations is really just on this one particular analytical spectrum. And I mean, you know, the, the point he's making is almost so obvious as to be unspoken, but basically just that you need this multiplicity of um, civilized approaches mm. to really get, a, you know, an interesting whole. Uh, so it was great to learn more about him. And then um, I finally took the time, which I've been holding off on, uh, along with my fidget spinner, uh, to read the, uh, and I'm going to have to double check on his name because I often mispronounce it. Uh, the, uh, is it Tanahasi Coates? Am I getting that right? That is how I uh, pronounce it. I'm not sure if that's Okay, right. so, so, so we'll double check it. But he did, of course, the, uh, the now sort of classic, recent classic piece in the Atlantic about the case for reparations. Um, have you read that piece, Rob? I, I have not. Um but I, I do know that it exists. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll link to it, and I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts about it, but just as a, as a way to sort of lay out what I got out of it. Mm. Of course, it's, it's really hard to talk about this notion of reparations, right? Like, how do you take a nation, like a sub-nation of people, you know, um, African-Americans in the United States, and figure out exactly what they lost and be able to distill that into a practical dollar amount or some other kind of mm -hmm, resource mm -hmm. and so it was interesting to hear um him write about i mean 
it's it's easy. It's you know, frankly, easy to make a case for reparations in general. Like to say, you know, here's an example of um, another nation doing it not too long ago. Like when Germany was um, making reparations towards Israel, and I was interested to learn through Coates' piece that um, the Israelis were actually really pissed off about it, right? Because w- what they didn't want was for Germany to be able to say, we've placed a dollar amount on these horrors, and now that it's been paid, we're sort of off the hook, mm-hmm. right? So there were actually a lot of people in Israel protesting against those reparations, which I found fascinating. But but also, you know, Germany was actually willing to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. just the fact that they... And, you know, and, and I think that at least a portion of the political drive behind that was saying, Here, here's a way to get started as opposed yeah. to a way to finish. Right, right. Um, but, that, but that, you know, sentiment was not shared by... All Israelis. So, so Coates is going and talking about you know these different metaphors. Like if you ring up a bunch of credit card debt and then you stop ringing up credit card debt, you still have the interest that's chipping away. You know at your um, you know you're not whole just because the debt has stopped accruing actively um, in terms of new purchases. He was also there was a more sort of graphic one where he was talking about you know you've been stabbed twenty times. And just the cessation of the stabbing doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, mean that everything's hunky-dory. Right, right. The stabbing has uh, stopped, but that doesn't make everything fine. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, then, you know, the to, to the cold-hearted viewer or reader, one might say, well, so what's the proposal then, right? I mean, what do we do? Like, is, is practically, is this something that can actually be addressed? And so Coates goes to um, a piece as far back as 1973, where, um, let's see, it was Yale Law Professor Boris Bitker, and he argues that the rough price tag could be determined by multiplying the number of African Americans in the population by the difference in white and black per capita income, right? So that's actually a pretty, you know, you can explain it in one sentence. So in, in 1973, that's $34 billion, uh, which, and, you know, I haven't done the calculation with interest, or rather inflation as to what that is today, uh, but there is this sort of number out there, which is great. But then, of course, you have to figure out, well, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Like, is it just a straight up, does it just come from the federal government? Or is it somehow, you know, other other d- dispersed? Uh, and so the only other thing, let's see, that I wanted to point out about this. Let me double check. Uh, so he also refers to uh, John Conyers apparently in Congress introduces H.R. 40, and I'll have to double check and make sure that, you know, this is linkable and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that we just need to have a team that's investigating, you know, the government has to have an official inquiry into what reparations might look like. And the fact that he introduces this every year when Congress starts its session and then nobody ever says, let's do it. (laughs) You know, both Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, so I found the piece really illuminating. Um, I think that Coates, you know, I mean, he he does manage to sort of make the case for reparations generally, but does not necessarily land and say, this is what must be done. And and I don't know that that's necessarily his responsibility. It does make me, it does leave me feeling a little bit like, you know, you take me to the river, but then sort of what next? Um, and, and a lot of his writing in this piece is through this lens of redlining, right? Mm-hmm. Where even after slavery and all these things are done, you still have, you know, the um, the government and also lending institutions specifically 
cramming black people into ghettos and refusing to offer mortgages in certain neighborhoods to black people and so forth. So, so it's, it's a fascinating read. I'm also in the middle of a real estate transaction myself. Mm. And so it's just made it really clear to me the types of things that I alluded to at the top of the show that I don't have to worry about in the same way as something as somebody else. So that, that is, uh, one expression of whiteness. Yeah, yeah. I, I will read that article because I, I had heard it explained to me um, in a way that was pretty compelling, and that was that this idea of reparations is um, a lot of people sort of would see as a pretty outrageous thing of like, you know... Uh, yep, and Coates says that. Yep. You know, paying a payout, right? Um, but mm-hmm. what what I heard about the article was that by the time you finish... You're like, oh, that's actually the least we could do. It's like not that big of a deal, you know. Like, like when you when you sort of start to unpack the whole situation, you're like, oh, well, reparations. T- to your point, Taylor, is like a starting place. It's not like, you know, let's just uh, put some checks in the mail and you know wash our hands of the whole situation. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this this is like actually not. This doesn't a reparation wouldn't even really scratch the surface, like, but it would be at least a mark on the surface, you know, like it would be a place um, to begin or at least like start lots of conversations about um, things that need to be talked about. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out. I, I will admit like that article crossed my path in a total like, um, you know, internet way. And I was like, Oh, I'll read this. Bleh. Like, <laughs> okay. Oh, me too. Yeah. Me too. And yeah. I, I will freely admit that it was this challenge that got me off my ass to read the article. And so, so yeah, so I so I'm sitting here right now with my fidget spinner, spinning it around as we're talking, and and I'll put one in the mail to you to you. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you would because I'm like, oh, the, I want a whiteness spinner. <laughs> the one thing I'm discovering is that I made it sized for my hand, so it doesn't work for most people. <laughs> so you know, another expression of my my uh, imperialism or whatever. But um, yeah, so so for me, it was like just. Uh, I wanted to make a thing. I didn't want that thing to have to embody in an explicit way yep. a topic that was far too complicated for the period of time. Yep. So it was intentionally dinky, but it did actually participate in my trying to expand my horizons on the topic. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's a baby step. Yep. But it's, um, I mean, I, you know, I read the article and then hopefully we reach an audience, you know, through the nature of the podcast and like hopefully there's an actual effect that happens so maybe the spinner is more than just a goofy ass little doohickey i like that it has almost like a um kind of totemic or like prayer bead like it's a thing sure. that like mm-hmm. sort of anchors you to a task that you want to do like that seems pretty pretty mm-hmm. powerful so that's that's cool for sure that's rad yeah that's that's cool um i had a similar conundrum and that i was mm-hmm. but i what was interesting is i decided i wouldn't do any reading <laughs> as, as yeah as it's funny because we um i was just like i don't like i need to think about what this means for me just like what is my baseline you know like like i don't even know if i could like i i think i i certainly need to do more self-study and more real study about this but like i was like i don't even know what where to start so like i i just started to write down questions and then i would st- sort of strike through the questions over and over and over again 
and um, then keep rewriting them till I kind of got somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I can I can share where that landed. So I've got a uh, I've got a subdomain, which is will the subdomain persist if I say it aloud yes, it will. in the podcast? It, yeah. So ant, antivenom.robray.com. dot net. And I oh did it oh I'm sorry yeah no sorry antivenom.robray.net. Yep. Is robray.com taken? It is. Oh, is it by that hockey player? No, it it is taken. I think it's taken by a used car salesperson in Arkansas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so um, not unlike Hung's website, I, I get a very simple mm-hmm. web page here that reads, uh, White Fragility Got You Down, Try a Dose of Whiteness Anti-Venom. Uh, send a dose to your phone to see how it works. So I'm going to click on this. So I can type in my number, which I shan't read aloud on the radio. And then the time... I imagine I'll just say for like a minute in the future. And then I got to, let's see, where am I? And then we have a, a chance to put in the uh, time zone. Did it pick Man, the right time like zone? Three, there's, it, it picked Pacific. Oh, dang it. Okay. Got it. There are like 3,000. Yeah. Uh, it's all the time zones. Europe time zones. U.S. is at the very bottom. Oh, so I need, to, I need to look up U.S. Central. Got it. Okay, so U.S. Central right now it is... 2034 for me it um oh, is that right 12 2234 so 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 that part it did get automatically weirdly i was hoping it would catch the right time ske- based on your ip but it looks like it didn't happen i'm gonna schedule my dose well so so it got the right it got the right time it just did not get the right time zone cool. and now i'm getting a text that's saying, where is whiteness most present in this room? How can I subvert it? <laughs> Fantastic. So in this particular room, uh, it is I and my darling sister-in-law is trying to sleep while I'm talking right now. Mm. So I think it's more me than her, that we are both white. Uh, right now I'm sitting in my studio, which is um, which I purchased... So there is a certain amount of privilege there. I don't think that the previous owner, I think the previous owner was also white, but there's sort of an aspect there of um, economic privilege mm-hmm. that I associate with whiteness. Yeah. So in terms of subverting it, um, I don't know what I can do at this point. I mean, I'll, I'll certainly attempt to sell it. Jeez. Um, it's a really tough one, right? Like, um, it's it's the whole problem. Like, you know, if you are white and or gay and move to a neighborhood that's not yet fully developed, you're participating in um, uh, gentrification, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And then, what do you do? Do you determine, you know, to only move to post-gentrifying neighborhoods? It's all very thorny. In terms of active subversion, I guess I guess the perhaps slightly lame answer that I'd give is that I'm going to make a podcast with Rob Ray <laughs> where we talk about um, whiteness and then hopefully 
you know, introduce our audience to some uncomfortable thoughts that lead to some uh, uh, breakthroughs on their part. I don't know, man. Did I cheat? What do you think? <laughs> um, so I can describe sort of my goals of the site. Um, I had been writing down questions, and I kept rewriting them and kind of trying to keep putting a finer point on them. And I sort of picked mm -hmm. up from you... I, certainly, this is um, picking up from uh, Hong's kind of microsite as well. But um, this happened sort of late in the game. Like I, I had been writing down questions, and I was originally thinking I wanted to make a card deck similar to uh, what you mentioned in the last episode, um, oblique strategies. Uh, that mm -hmm. sort of is a, a deck that you could sort of pick up and shuffle through and um, do some thinking on what happens to be uh, on the card. Um, and so I had been writing down questions about whiteness for myself and I was going to make these cards uh, so I could sort of carry them around with me in my bag and um, I don't know, pull them out when I felt like it seemed like a good time. And then I... I like that idea, but then I was like, well, it's a little like just for me, you know, like it, it's like a little bit. It, and in some ways, like maybe the act of making the cards is the most interesting thing, but like it, I don't really know how other people might, might uh, be into it or something. Like, I don't know. I was just like, oh, it seems like there's something else there. And then I was like, um, Oh, like there's this whole what what I like about the questions is they're meant to sort of ask you to re-examine your surroundings. And I'll read out what some of the questions are. Um the first one you got, Taylor, is where is whiteness most present in this room? How can I subvert it? I will admit I only have six questions so far, but that I actually like, but <laughs> but I'm I'm working on more. Um another one is where is whiteness hiding in this room? How can I expose it? Uh another one of the questions is how is whiteness benefiting from my actions? How do I divert my energies elsewhere? Uh, another question is, um, how is whiteness causing me fear in this situation? How can I diffuse it? So there's sort of question pairs that are around like asking you to look at whiteness in your life or in a situation. And then another question that's asking you to dismantle or rethink or challenge yourself um and so then i was like well you know we live in a world of interruptive technology right like like we live in this world of of phones going off on stuff and it's something that causes a lot of people strife but then i was like can you flip that on its head like can you mm -hmm. can you create an interruption in your life that actually feels good or right. um, encourages you in some interesting way. And there's not a lot out there that does that, which is kind of strange. Um, there is... Um, Kelly Sue DeConnick is a comic book author who has a really cool text message-based platform that I've subscribed to for a while. Um, and it is called... Yeah, I I, ju I just dosed you. By the way, did it work? You did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. I saw it and I was like, oh, I just got a text message. Um, 
it's called Bitches Get Shit Done, and it's at uh, <laughs> bgsd-archive.tumblr.com, uh, and it's an archive of the messages. And um, you can sign up for Bitches Get Shit Done, and it's this kind of motivational text message platform um, mm-hmm. that sends you a, a text message occasionally that says something like, um, uh, be a miser with your time. Choose carefully and on what and on whom you spend it. You have no idea how much you have left. Um, and another one is, you almost done with that? So some of them are like kind of snarky and funny and some of them are, are more um, kind of gracious. And it's a, a really, it's a, it's a cool platform. Um, and they come through just sort of randomly. And what's nice about it, right, is you're in the middle of doing something and all of a sudden it comes through and it makes you kind of think about uh, your, yeah. what you're doing a little bit differently. So I'm definitely lifting off that concept a bit. And I, um, I like that this allows more people into this, con- you know, into the idea and sort of uh, in, into the project. I, I have a lot of coding work to do <laughs> to make it uh, a little bit more secure and that sort of thing. But I, yeah, yeah. Right now, right now, my uh, my phone number is just completely visible on the list. Yeah, yeah. Portion. I, I I exposed <laughs> that just so you could see it, but I was going to turn that off. Like, but yeah, right now you can. There's a list nice. of you, so you can see everybody's text messages that went through without logging in or anything. Sorry, sorry, hackers. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also <laughs> my um I'm using Twilio uh, to send the text messages, uh, and I did cap my credit card, so it won't keep renewing my credit card and just sending bulk text messages. So if someone spams the hell out of right. this thing, um, it'll be okay. Oh yeah, D- didn't you? Uh, a quick update. Didn't you get? some 4chan tension i did get 4chan tension from my uh uh audio nuke box i got Mm -hmm. i got crank calls from people who said they were from 4chan (laughs) which is a great we're from we're from 4chan yeah and they sounded like they maybe had been they sounded very high (laughs) but um i did get some (laughs) I, i did get some nice prank phone calls uh into my box from people what's weird is i did I was curious about how this, this, these people who were crank calling my phone line, how they found out about it. And I did look on, I did some searches for like, you know, site searches for 4chan to see if it got posted or something, but I couldn't find anything at all as to how this, how it would have gotten traction. But I assume. Well, 4chaners and Reddit, they're, uh, they're all around us. They are. They're all around us. I assume it was probably because I had posted on some sort of message board, like the preppers forum or something like that, but. <laughs> but uh speaking of whiteness yes yeah. speaking of whiteness for sure um yeah so these questions are questions that i i i want to keep adding to but they're questions that mm-hmm. um i mean i think what's funny about this uh, the kind of whiteness thing is whiteness is a gives you like a lot of pass in the world you know um mm-hmm. or privilege um but i think it's also anything like that that sort of gives you a privilege is also giving you a blind spot, right? Like, um, and so I've been trying to sort of pick at that blind spot to be like, what is, what do I miss out on when I rely on my whiteness in whatever way or, or either consciously or unconsciously. So um, hopefully what this will become is a little like kind of weekly text message that you'll get somewhat randomly. I, I wanted to select people's, uh, time zone so i wouldn't send it to them at like two in the morning it would sort of always sort of be before 10 p.m or something but um 
Uh, but I would like it if it was a cool little service that I people could sign up for and be like, oh, like I'm curious to think about what whiteness is and what white privilege is. Um, and maybe I could get like a little message occasionally that would have me think about it in the situation I'm in through sort of uh, interruption as opposed to um, being more self-driven, like a, car, like a card deck would be like, you have to think about it in order to do it. Um, where text messages, mm-hmm. the, the system gets to decide when you think about it. So, Rob, let me ask mm-hmm. you this: the uh, the titling of the project is anti venom. Yeah. Do you do you think that whiteness is essentially venomous? Um, it it's y- yes. Um, <laughs> I think. Well, I think it's a toxin, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. venom. Ven- I haven't. I don't know the the chemistry well enough to know what the difference is, but. What I like. Don't you have a degree in that? I have. A, I have. A, I have a, a minor in in biology, but I, I didn't biochem. I I should know the difference between a toxin and a venom, but, but I don't remember. Um, but what I I thought was interesting about the anti venom concept. It's a little bit weird and harsh the phrase, the word. But um, what I like about it is that you an anti venom, as I understand it, is this sort of it's almost like an inoculation or something where you're getting a little dose of the thing that would hurt you in order to keep it from hurting you or to, to fix a problem, you know, like, like, uh, 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 like I think of like snake bite antivenom as being generated from snake bite from snakes themselves. And so I kind of like that the Uh. concept of thinking about whiteness coming it coming from whiteness like like to to be more thoughtful about your whiteness through through your whiteness was this kind of similar oroboros snake eating its tail kind of thing that you could that in some ways was i don't know seemed seemed interesting to think about so that's kind of how i got to that that word but it was one of those things again where this creating the website for this was an idea that kind of popped into my head a day or two ago <laughs> and so you know you then you sort of realize like okay i've got the thing now i have to like assemble all the components so i like the mm-hmm. name but i may it could use a little work I think, but that's what i was going for so listeners if you have a thought about a better site name but sort of still gets at that idea maybe uh s- send us a note and it'd be cool to hear about it i i like your description i i feel like you know you could just Maybe just talk about that on the page yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I also wonder, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the list of questions, even though that makes it less mysterious in some ways. Yeah. If somebody's going to contribute a question, they should know, you know what's on there. Yeah. And hopefully if I have enough questions like to show a few on the page, just gives people a little bit of framing, right? And then you will get other mm-hmm. stuff in your on your phone. I, I love seeing this stuff. Like the first ID is thirteen, so I have a sense of how many tests. How many I deleted? The, yeah, last night. Not, mm-hmm. Yeah, and today, right before yeah. the podcast. <laughs> so, Rob, did we fix it? Are we done? <laughs> I think we just got started. Exactly, man. Yeah. That's. I think that's the thing I learned with this was, um, you know, whether it's reading articles or spreading the word to your buddies or, or deciding exactly, you know, what what tangible effect you hope to have. Uh, it opens up just 
I mean, it's stuff I was already doing in the context of teaching. Yeah. But I feel like maybe I could be more explicit about it, yep. even if it's just internally that, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that with these specific political motivations in mind. Yep. So, yeah, I think I think this challenge will have a much larger... This will stay with me for longer than 2x4 and Paperclip. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, yes, Hung gave us a great... I mean, the thing that's interesting about a, making a project attached to a concept is you really, like, just through your own ego, want to think about it a lot because you want to do something cool. And, like, I... Mm-hmm. I dug into this topic a lot just because I was like, I really want to do something interesting. Like, I don't want to be like, well, I, I made a white cube. Isn't that funny? Like, or whatever. Like I went to the, I went to home Depot and I got all the paint chips that are white. Like, I don't know, you know, like I wanted to make something that was substantive and like, and like really dug in to what I think and Mm -hmm. like challenged me to think about all this differently. So I don't know. I mean, it's ironic. Like, I will admit, like, there's deep irony in being like, I'll make a website. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, you know, yeah. like, here's the white guy applying technology to a problem and, uh, you know, thinking that everything's going to be okay. But, uh, I. But you're not saying that. No, that, no, no, no. Right. But it, I, yeah. but, you know, when I was like. Yeah, so, so, so don't, but don't apologize, man, because I think, th- I think that's the other arm of this and just, you know, being a good white boy. And apologizing for everything you do, that doesn't help anybody but you. Nope. Yeah. You know, it just, it, scr- it scratches a an itch. Yeah. And I, th- you know, apologies are necessary at points in time. But I think, you know, we're trying to be aware of this stuff. So let's let's not make this like the Coney Facebook video. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, let's actually, I don't know, do something about it. Yeah. Apologies should be the exception rather than the rule, right? Like... Well, now... Rob, unless there's other stuff you want to talk about, I think we have to come up with our next week's challenge. We do. What, one of the things that I was like, oh, it's nice to not have a guest, even though I, I think having a guest is really super cool. But I was like, oh, we get to pick the challenge next for next time. Like, that's yeah. kind of fun, you know, just because it, it, it is such a fun and pleasurable thing to think on the challenges. Like, it's fun to feel, ooh, ooh, I get that. I get to think about it. So, um, so. Yeah. Rob, why don't you pick? Oh it? no, <laughs> what's it gonna be? Well, let's pick it together. Um, I but I did have some. I have so many that are kind of abstracted, but I'll, I'll just throw one or two mm-hmm. of them out, and then if you have some that are in your head too, we can we can suss them out mm-hmm. together. But um, one of the ones I have, and this is like maybe boring, but maybe kind of cool, is for us to pick a project that we have put on the shelf for X amount of time or whatever we want to come up with and like dust it off and be like, no, I'm doing this. Like I did this, I started this thing, but I had to put it aside for whatever reason. But now like, this is it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to have a a restart and then I'm going to finish it. So that was one thing that I thought would be kind of cool because I have a million projects like that. And some of them I think are cool, but I just don't get around to finishing them. Um, so that was one I had in my head. Did you have any in your in your head? Well, I'll tell you a secret. Almost every project I've done so far on this podcast has been a shelf project. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> right? So there's always like, and I find that often, uh, for example, my etching with the CNC machine from last time, you know, that, that had been sitting around for like 10 years and so on. So... 
I mean, I, I think it's a great way of working. It's I'm going to largely be doing it the same way. Although, I don't know. I was just looking at my pimp shoes the other day. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know. I mean, gener- I, I try not to think about it until we're actually talking about yeah. it. So the first thing that came to my mind was edibles. Oh. Um, and I have no particular, you know, I feel like that one is broad. It touches an area that we haven't really gotten into yet. And that's it. I will admit that I have a guest. We have a guest on our list that has said yes, mm-hmm. but won't be happening soon. Who would be perfect for that topic? But oh. but, but here's the conundrum, right? Is like starting in two weeks, we don't pick the topics anymore. So getting back around to edibles mm-hmm. is would only be at the whim of someone else. Um, so I like, I do. Well, yeah. maybe, hmm, interesting. I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, it could also inspire the incoming guest to see what somebody else did with, you know, quote their topic. Yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so you, give me another one. What do you want to do? Um, I have a, I have some that are, I've jotted down mm-hmm. that are kind of very formal or something like, like, like that are skills that I want to improve or something like that, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, two birds. Two birds. What's two birds? With one. Oh yes, yeah, right. Yes, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I immediately went to Portlandia. <laughs> for... <laughs> um, put two birds on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could do we could do one that's uh, like a made in China. Uh, you know, where whatever you do, it has to be through like Alibaba or something. Oh. <laughs> I just don't know if we can get it done in two, two weeks. Two weeks would be tough for that one, yeah. Yeah. Um mm. then again, we're sort of we're we're on a weird schedule because it's just the two of us proposing it. Um Okay, I'll back off of that a little bit. Oh, how about how about homemade chemicals? <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's do okay. that. Let's do that. Um Ooh. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think we should say anything else. Yeah, that's homemade <laughs> chemicals. Oh man, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room in that one. That's good. Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of room to get in trouble. Yes, in all sorts of ways. Um, indeed. All right, boss. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you want to take us out on the business? Yeah, sure. Um, so the projects we just discussed and all the other projects that we have done are going to be up on projects.opposablepodcast.com. Apologies that we've been a little bit late some weeks getting those up there because it's just a little bit, it's that like little extra push to have to get the documentation done that sometimes takes a little while. Uh, but thanks to people who go to the website and check it out. Um, it's been really cool uh, to to see traffic coming into that and people checking it out. Um, if you're new to the podcast, uh, welcome. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or all your whatever podcast platform you like if you enjoy the podcast podcast please i always do that if you enjoy the podcast please uh share it with someone who you think would dig it um we're sort of loath to do like weird can you can you dig it (laughs) like do uh like kind of weird um seo and all the kind of stuff for our podcast but like just sharing it with someone else who you think would be cool uh, who you think would like it would be really cool. Um, 
and really help us out. Uh, our logo was created by the mighty Wolf Mask. You can check out his art at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Um, he is a great person to work with uh, and really sort of helped, I think Taylor and I both sort of get excited about the podcast. Like as like when we had a logo done and it was really pro looking and really cool, Taylor and I were both like, yeah, this is awesome. We're doing the thing. And it was like a really nice kind of boost to work with someone who um, was so great to work with and also such a, a, a badass. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and the thing that I loved was that he, he subbed an earlier version and we were like, dude, we, you know, make it gloopier. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, I was, I was being conservative on the gloops. And we were like, why else do we come to the Mighty Wolf it's Mask? True. It's true. But if not for gloops. Yeah. He's got, he's, he's got some, some good, some good gloops. He has a really great uh, sort of zombie style that is, is obviously apparent in our logo. Um, but we, yeah, we, we asked him to turn up the gloops. Um, we do have a Patreon page. Uh, if you would like to kick us a little bit of money on the regular, we would be super happy about that. If you go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs, um, you can sponsor us. Um, we are also accepting other kinds of sponsorships. So if you, uh, would like to, um, use our podcast as a small platform to talk about what you do, uh, we would definitely be interested in talking with you about that and coming up with a solution. Uh, we give priority to independent businesses, um, minority-owned businesses, and women-owned businesses. Um, so if you have something you want our very nerdy and enthusiastic podcast listeners to know about, uh, please give us a shout at opposablepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a code of conduct. We're dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, you can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Uh, we don't have any listener feedback this week. Oh, we do. We had listener mm-hmm. feedback. Taylor, do you want to highlight the listener feedback? It it came to me through conversation. So, uh, Walter said that he really appreciated our uh, code of conduct, cool. which you've just finished reading, nice. uh, noting that um, it's important to say, and that when it comes at the end, you can skip it, you cannot skip uh-huh. it, but you know it's there, yep. and that's crucial. Yep. I do have a question mm. for listeners. Um, Taylor, you and I haven't really talked about this, but I, I was. I've been curious about how to have more conversations with listeners um, on various platforms, whatever they may be, Instagram, Facebook. I don't really know. I don't really know what would be good. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought Taylor and I should kick around some ideas, but it would also be interesting to hear about, um, to hear ideas from from our listeners. And if people are like, oh, you should be on Instagram and whatever, like that would be cool to hear because I'm kind of stuck, not, not quite sure. Um, how to do it but it would be great to um hear from you and and we are almost up to 1000 downloads which is no uh, we've already we've already passed, oh, we passed it, it. yes cool i checked a couple days ago and it was at 970 or something and i was like oh we're getting close uh so thanks uh to everyone who listens and downloads it's really really cool it's nice to to think that when you're taylor and i are conversing on the podcast that other people um are into it so mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, that's all I've got. A big shout out to Hung for the very challenging topic. Um, it definitely, yep, definitely pushed us best. out of our comfort zone uh, quite a bit. And, and I think we're at a pretty interesting place. And um, Taylor, you, you have a reading list to send me, and I'm pretty excited to get that. Oh, and a fidget, yeah, for an sure. oversized fidget spinner. I can like... Uh, Indeed. Maybe I can... Yeah. I'll whittle it down. you got pretty big hands. I'll try. You can, you can handle it. Still, we should mail one to Trump as like a troll move. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> you know, you, you know. In I was reading that in Chicago, somebody wanted to get like the uh, the Pink Floyd inflatable pigs to block the Trump name. Did you read about oh this? Oh, my gosh. And I, I think it's actually moving forwards, if I'm not mistaken, wow. this project. Wow. That's cool. More links. Yep. More, More links, links for the links. Yep. Okay, dudes. Well, I'm scared by what I'll do with homemade chemicals, yes. but uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, that's good. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, yeah. Okay, Rob. Cool. Signing in. Sounds good. Good work. Cool. Thanks, man. See you guys. Take care. I'm terrified. <laughs>